All right, hello, Christ community. Great to be here. So glad all of you are here. Uh, I just want to acknowledge our West Campus, our traditions venue, uh, and our friends in LaSalle as well. So glad all of you are joining us. Um, so today we're finishing up this teaching series on wholeheartedness. Um, and let me just give a kind of a, a heads up about next week. Next week we're going to be starting um, a new teaching series. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be called Stubborn Love. And we're going to be looking at this amazing story in the Old Testament. Um, that's found in the book of Ruth. So it is a story that has intrigue and tragedy and romance and refugees and compassion and sacrificial love and God's promises. I mean, and, and his, pro, his, his providential work, all of these things. I can't wait for us to dive in. It's going to be super fun. And that's going to lead us all the way up to Christmas. So that's where we're headed. But again, today we are bringing to a conclusion this wholehearted series. I hate to use the word conclusion um, because this series that we're currently in, it's really describing a way of life. I mean, I, I feel like this series is, is kind of, is, is the beginning of a new way of living for, for us, right? It's describing what it looks like to truly walk with Jesus. Walking with Jesus is not about following some rules. It's not about filling our minds with information. It's not about trying hard to be a better person. No, to walk with Jesus is to live with a whole heart, it is to live a life in which we are allowing Jesus to bring wholeness into these areas where shame has been wreaking havoc. Well, today, I want us to focus on one final area um, in which shame is bringing so much devastation and, and, and in which Jesus wants to bring healing. And that is the whole area of our relationships. So many of the relational difficulties that people have today in terms of their marriage or with their children or in their social lives. So many of those relational difficulties are rooted in shame, and often we don't see it. And so I want us to unpack how shame impacts our relationships, and then how Jesus can help free us from those things. So it should be no surprise, if you've been around this series, it should be no surprise that the answer, in order to answer that question, we need to go back to the beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we are told in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, that Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. See, this is before sin has entered the picture. It is this beautiful, powerful description of a healthy relationship. Both Adam and Eve have whole hearts. They are completely open. They are not self-conscious. They are not hiding. They, they, they are able to completely be themselves and to freely love each other just as they are. It is this beautiful picture of authenticity and vulnerability and acceptance. And because of that, they are one. They are relationally connected, no barriers, no walls. But unfortunately, they gave in to the temptation to not trust God and to choose to rebel against his command. And at that moment, when they gave in to that sin, everything in their relationship changes. And the reason it changes is because now shame has entered the picture. Look with me at Genesis 3, beginning in verse 7, which is the first verse we read immediately after they sinned against their creator. Look at what happened. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This has got to be one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Paradise lost. 
intimacy, openness, acceptance, lost. Now they realize they're naked. They are self-conscious about it. So they find ways to hide and to cover themselves. See, this is one of the ways that shame impacts our relationships. It's through hiding. It's through hiding. See, shame causes us to focus on what we're not, which creates this need to hide who we really are. I have to, shame says I have to look good and I have to impress you and I have to be funny and I have to be strong and all of that, which inevitably creates distance in our relationship. Because if I'm trying to hide who I really am, then you're going to be unable to know the real me. So shame actually creates a barrier between us. If I feel like I'm unworthy of love and I'm unacceptable, all those messages of shame, if I believe those things, then I'm certainly not going to be moving toward people in relationship. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to isolate. I'm going to hide behind my social media persona or my appearance or my ability. I'm not going to get close to people because they might see who I really am and reject me. So hiding is one of the ways that shame impacts our relationships. But there's another equally devastating way shame impacts our relationships. Look with me at the next verse in Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Really, really important. Who told you you were naked? Have you, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? <clears throat> the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Okay, so do, you see what, do you see what just happened? Adam's like, it's not my fault. It is the woman you put here with me. You're the one that put her in the garden with me. So what is he doing? He's blaming. He's blaming. See, this is another evidence of shame in our relationships. Adam is shifting the blame. First, he has the gall to actually blame God. You're the one who put her here. Um, and then Adam totally throws Eve under the bus. She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it seems very likely that Eve was within earshot of this. She heard what Adam said. Imagine how she felt. The man who had been protecting her and honoring her and loving her is now blaming her in order to cover his own rear end. See, Adam is now so caught up in protecting his own identity and in, in preserving the mask, right, that he's willing, he's so caught up in that that he's willing to throw his wife under the bus. It is heartbreaking. It is tragic to watch this unfold here in this story. And here, folks, here's the reality. We know this part of the story firsthand because we, all of us here, we have been just like Adam and we have, just been, we have been just like Eve in this story. There are plenty of times when we have behaved like Adam, criticizing, judging, demeaning another person in order to cover our own shame. Right? In order to, I, mean, I can feel better about myself, I can put you down. 
Um, so how often do we shame people in the way we talk to them or talk about them? All because we're insecure about our own stuff. You know, we're critical of our spouse, but we're never willing to look at our own faults. You know, we, we need our children to behave a certain way because we're worried about what other people think of us. So we're constantly critical of our children. Or, or, or we need to, to tear other people down on social media so that we feel better about ourselves and our position. See, all of that criticism, all of that judgment, all of that contempt and, 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 and unwillingness to admit fault and apologize, all of that, it's rooted in the cesspool of shame. It is rooted in shame. We're just like Adam. We've got to keep our identity, even if it means throwing our most precious relationships under the bus. Now, there are other times, so we're like Adam, but there are other times when we're like Eve in this story. There are other times when we have been shamed, when we have been shamed by another person who matters to us. Maybe it's a parent who told us we're a failure and we would never amount to anything, or they never told us they were proud of us, but they constantly talked about how proud they were of our sibling, you know, your sibling or whatever. Or maybe it was a friend who we found out was making fun of us behind our back. Or maybe it was a boss. Or maybe it was a teacher who criticized us publicly. Or maybe it was our, maybe it was our spouse who continually ignores us and devalues us. I, I was talking with someone the other day whose dad is in his upper 80s. Um, and he has spent his whole life building his empire and shaming everyone else who doesn't meet his standard. And all around him are shattered hearts, shattered hearts. He, you know, he, he, when he talks about his legacy, he sees his legacy as the business that he's run, but he is completely blind to the legacy of relational brokenness that he has caused for decades. See, the reality is we have all been Adam and we have all been Eve at various times in our relational story. We have hidden ourselves, we have blamed others, and we have been shamed by other people. There is a lot of relational brokenness in our stories, but, but there is good news. There's good news. Jesus, our Messiah, has come to heal our broken hearts. Isaiah 61, he has come to heal our broken hearts and to bring wholeness to our relationships. That's what the gospel brings about. See, Jesus died on the cross as a means of not only forgiving our sin, he did do that on the cross, it's amazing, it's awesome, but he not only died on the cross to forgive our sin, but also to cover our shame. So in the cross, we have the resources to extract shame from our relationships so that we can reverse the trajectory of, of shame-based relationships and move towards whole relationships. So what does that look like, practically speaking? That's what we're going to talk about the rest of this message. I want to answer that question by specifically looking at each one of the things that we just mentioned, the hiding and the two forms of blaming. We're going to look at each one of those, how the gospel applies to each one of those. So first, the hiding our tendency to hide. So how does the gospel speak to our tendency to hide? Now we have a very cool answer to this question in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse 11. So here the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, which is a group of people that he was in significant relationship with. He was in relationship with these people. Um, and look at what he says to them. 
We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. See, in these verses, Paul is obviously expressing a concern that their relationship is not as healthy as he would like. And so what's the problem? Well, he says, we have opened wide our hearts to you, but you have not reciprocated. In other words, we have been vulnerable. We have been open with you about what we're thinking and what we're feeling. But we're not hiding anything from you for fear of rejection or whatever. We, we've removed our fig leaves, so to speak. That's kind of what he's saying here. We've removed our masks and we've shared what's really going on. But Paul says, you haven't reciprocated. You haven't opened wide your hearts to us. You're still hiding. You're not being vulnerable. You're not being open. And because of that, we can't really know you. We can't really know you. We, we can't go deeper in this relationship. See, so here's, here's a principle from this passage. If, if, if we want to intentionally move out of our hiding and instead grow in healthier relationships, Paul shows us the key to that. And here's the key. Someone has to go first. Why not let it be you? Someone has to go first. Why not let it be you? See, in so many relationships, there is a longing to be known. There's a longing to open up. And, 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 and yet we're waiting for the other person or we're waiting for other people to, to share, to be the first to share, right? And, and guess what? <clears throat> They're waiting as well, right? They're waiting as well. See, what is needed is for someone to have the courage to break through that barrier of vulnerability and just go for it. Just go for it, to share openly from your heart what's really going on inside. So last fall, I did a, a six-week kind of men's um, thing on this wholeheartedness um, on Tuesday mornings. And at those gatherings, I would teach, and then we would break into small groups and uh, around tables for discussion. And my group of men around my table, they were friends of mine, um, who have, we've been in a relationship for quite some time. And I, I thought we knew each other pretty well, right? But in these six weeks, as we're talking about shame, we started to open up around the table and about areas of shame in our lives, mistakes in our past, sexual sin or having a girlfriend get an abortion or battling anxiety. It was so real and so powerful. Enough about the Broncos and the weather, right? I mean, this is real. This was real. And I, I felt so connected to these men in a way that I hadn't before. And again, we had been meeting for years. We'd known each other for years and had never gone to this level. See, the gospel frees us to be real. When we know how much God loves us and who we are in Christ, when we know that, as we've been talking about throughout this series, we are freed then to be real with people. We're free to take off our masks and to open our hearts to each other. Sure, it's risky. Absolutely. People might withdraw, but others will be drawn to you. Others will be drawn to you and you to them. Suddenly your friendships will deepen. They will go from side-to-side -side friendships where we're doing something together to face-to-face -to -face friendships where we're opening our hearts to each other. 
Now, there's another key to cultivating this kind of moving beyond hiddenness and, and cultivating this kind of, uh, um, uh, these kinds of interactions. And that is the second principle here, to ask heart-oriented questions. Asking questions is such a powerful way to move towards people. They're just a powerful way to get below the surface of people's lives. But they have to be the right kinds of questions. This is so important. It's not just about asking questions. They've got to be the right kind of questions. So how would you rate the following questions in terms of helping open someone's heart? How you doing? What's going on? How's life? What'd you think of the Bronco game? I mean, those are fairly, those are all fairly, we use them all the time, but they're fairly superficial questions. And when we ask them, folks, we're going to get a superficial answer. Whether we're asking it of our teenage daughter or our boyfriend or our spouse or a coworker or our e-group, when we ask those kinds of questions, we're going to get that kind of an answer. We're going to get superficial answers. But what if we used as a guide the questions that we talked about last week about connecting with our own heart? But rather than just talking about our own heart, what if we use those to help explore another person's heart? So how about we start with the heart attentive question? You, if, if none of this makes sense, you can just listen to last week's message. It'll all make sense. But start with a heart attentive question. Same one God asked Adam in the garden. We just read this after Adam had sinned. What does God say? Where are you? In other words, where, where is your heart right now? Where, where, where is your heart? It's a great question. See, we, we want this person to open up their heart to us. What are they feeling? What are they thinking inside? What is going on in there? What's going on in their heart? <clears throat> and then, folks, this is really, really important. Then listen. Okay? Listen. No fixing. No lectures. We're listening. If you try to fix this, if you immediately try to fix it, you will shut it down. Guaranteed. The person's like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to share my heart again. They will, you will shut it down. This is not about fixing. It is about seeing their heart. So once that begins to happen, they open up a little bit about what they're, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. Then we can become, secondly, we talked about last week, heart curious. And this is, this is when we, we ask the why question. Hmm, I wonder why, why, why do you think you're experiencing that? Why, why, why are you feeling that way? What, what is that about, I wonder? Again, we're not fixing, we're being curious. We're being curious, we're drawing out. Which can then lead to the third thing we talked about last week, heart connectedness, which would be, hey, after we've done the other two, what do you think Jesus wants to say to you in the midst of that? Well, what do you think God is doing here? How, how might you fully look to him in this situation? See, our goal is to create an environment where we are opening wide our hearts to one another. And by asking these kinds of questions, we can actually help make that happen. Questions are so powerful. And we, we use them often. We use them so poorly. They're so powerful. I remember talking to a dad last fall in the men's thing, <clears throat> talking to a dad. And I presented some of this material about asking kind of these kinds of sorts of questions. And so he shared with me how that night he went home and his eight-year-old son was kind of having a, a tough, you know, just acting out a bit, I should say, just acting out a bit. And instead of this dad's usual response, which is stop that, that would be the typical response, the dad began to ask some of these heart-oriented questions. And then he just listened. 
He just listened instead of lecturing. And his son began to open up about some things that were going on at school. And this dad told me he felt more of a heart connection to his son than he ever had before just by asking heart-oriented questions and listening instead of lecturing. He got a window into his child's heart that before he had just been, stop that, stop that behavior and all that, just going after the behavior rather than looking beneath. So I wonder, do our kids, no matter how old they are, Adult children, teenagers, young children, do they feel like we are more interested in dispensing information than we are interested in their hearts? It's a really important question to think about our interaction with our children, whatever age they are. Because I, I guarantee if, if, you, if our pattern has been lecture, 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 I guarantee what they're thinking is, I'm just not gonna open up my heart to dad anymore or to mom anymore. I don't want to lecture. They don't really care about what's going on with me. So, oh, that was convicting. Okay, for me too. So, but the, the, the way we move out of hiding in our relationships is by intentionally opening our hearts and pursuing the hearts of others. And Jesus' love frees us to do this. Really, the gospel frees us to do this. Okay, so now that's hiding. Now I want to talk about this whole area of blaming. <clears throat> So let's focus, first of all, on our tendency to blame others, right? The Adam response that we looked at earlier. This is a huge area that is wreaking so much devastation in relationships. So Dr. John Gottman is a, uh, a researcher, a marriage expert. He, he has been around a while, written a number of books, um, studied thousands of marriages. So many marriages, in fact, that he claims that he can just watch a, a married couple interact for 30 minutes and he can predict with 90% accuracy whether their marriage is going to end in divorce. And what he found was in his research, what he found is there are four specific indicators that he has discovered in his years of research, the indicators of a really troubled um, um, marriage headed towards divorce. Here, here are the four indicators. Criticism, contempt, blame shifting, and disconnecting, stonewalling, but it's, it's like disconnecting, right? Emotionally just, I'm stonewalling, I'm disconnecting. Th those things can easily creep into family dynamics, our friendships, our workplace, our marriage, and they're, they're, they, they bring destruction. And all of them are fueled by shame. All of them are fueled by shame, as Adam shows us in Genesis 3, because Adam was doing all of these, <laughs> right? He was doing all of them. Criticism, he had this contempt, that woman, you put that woman here, right? And then the blame shifting thing and the disconnecting, he was doing all of these. So what's the answer? Again, our amazing Savior, Jesus, provides us with the answer. The gospel gives us the resources to break free from these patterns in our relationships. So we, we, we see this in the book of Colossians chapter 3. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And, and look at these words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, notice how this passage begins. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. In other words, because you are loved by God, 
Because you are holy in his sight, because these things are already yours in the gospel, you can clothe yourself with compassion. You can clothe yourself with patience and kindness. Because you're the beloved sons and daughters of God, because God the Father has already adopted you into his family through the blood of Jesus, you can clothe yourselves with these things in your relationships. In Christ, you and I have all the resources we need to not be sucked into the shame-blame game. But, but instead, we can actually choose to love this person. We can choose in that moment to clothe ourselves with Jesus' kindness and his compassion and his gentleness. Not because we have these things in and of ourselves. We don't. We don't have this capacity in and of ourselves. It's because Jesus' love fills us and removes our shame. So we don't have to protect our identity anymore. Right? We don't have to protect our identity. We don't have to be right. We don't have to control everyone. We don't have to control the conversation and always have the last word and all that stuff. We can take a deep breath and ask Jesus, Jesus, would you fill me with your love right now? Jesus, I just want to put on your compassion right now. I want to put on your humility. I want to put on your, your kindness. Imagine what our relationships would look like if we were so filled with Jesus' love or we were stopping and being filled with Jesus' love that we stopped blaming, criticizing, and judging other people. Imagine that. It's possible. We have the resources we need. Some, some of you here, some of you here have let the spirit of blame and criticism and contempt take root in your life and it is destroying your relationships. It is destroying your relationships. The time is now to stop that trajectory. And you are the only one who can do that. Think about it. It's not going to be anyone else around you because you're not listening to them. You're just critical of them, right? It's not going to be anyone else around that can fix you. This is you owning it. No more excuses. Own it. This is the kind of person I've become, and I don't want to be this. <clears throat> Own it. No more blame shifting. Own it and let Jesus begin changing it because you have the resources, but you've got to appropriate them. Because of his love for you, you can put on compassion to all of us here. We can put on his compassion. We can put on his kindness. Okay, now the other scenario in this blame dynamic is when we are the recipient of blame and shame. When someone shames us, and as I mentioned before, you know, like when a spouse or a parent or a friend or a boss or a teacher shames us, and we carry those wounds. So what do we do with that? Now, a few weeks ago, I've spoken to this at times in this whole series. So a few weeks ago, we talked about welcoming the presence of Jesus into these places of pain and shame. You know, with the, these wounds in our past is really, really important for his love. Romans 5, Romans 8, that ministry we've talked about, for that to be happening. But there is one other element that I didn't talk about then, and we really need to talk about it here if we want to walk in wholeness of heart. And it's actually something the Apostle Paul mentions in the next verse Verse 13 of Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
See, unforgiveness and bitterness have the power to shatter and destroy our hearts. When we hold on to the hurt, someone hurts us, they shame us. When we hold on to that, we think we're getting back at that person by holding on to this, right? I'm going to hang on to it because, you know, we're kind of getting back at them. We think that's what's happening. But the reality is we're just letting them hurt us over and over and over again. They've moved on. They're not thinking about it anymore. We're the ones thinking about it because we're holding on to it. And by holding on to it, we're letting them continue to do damage to our hearts. So to forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was you. The prisoner was you. See, for the sake of our own heart, for the sake of our own well-being, we need to forgive we have to forgive for our own sake. Now, this doesn't minimize what they've done. We're not excusing what this person has done. We're not minimizing it. We're not ignoring it. No, no, no. It means acknowledging. We're acknowledging what they've done. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt when they did that. And then once we acknowledge it, we bring it to the cross and we leave it with Jesus. Letting go of our right to retaliate, letting go of our right to hold on to it. So to forgive is to choose to cancel the debt that they owe you. Again, not for their sake, but for your sake. So look at, look at what the writer of Hebrews says about bitterness. Look at this. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many. That's what bitterness does. It poisons our hearts and then it spreads that poison around to others. We think, oh, that was just between me and him and I'm just holding on to it, but it's not impacting anyone else. That is a total lie because it is, it is just bleeding out in all of your relationships and the bitterness and the judgment and the anger and the critical spirit, all that stuff, just, that's the poisonous root of bitterness and it defiles many the Bible says it defiles many people. So bring, bring your pain, bring your hurt to the cross. Choose to forgive for your own sake. Now, please, please understand, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. They're different. So if this person is continuing to shame you, reconciliation might be an impossibility at this point. They're not going to repent if they're not going to own their stuff. Reconciliation may be an impossibility. You, you don't trust them, and understandably so. Not going to enter back into a trusting relationship with this person. That's, that's okay. But forgiveness can happen regardless. For, your forgiveness has nothing to do with whether they repent or whether they, it's reconciled. Those are different things. You've got to take care of the forgiveness thing. We've got to take care of this piece. We can pray for the other to happen. But they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. So again, we forgive for our sake, for our sake. Without forgiving those who hurt, who hurt us, our hearts will not be whole. They won't. They will not be able to walk in wholeheartedness if we're harboring unforgiveness. So here's the bottom line, really, of this whole message and this whole series. Shame will destroy our relationships um, through hiding or blaming, but the gospel frees us to be vulnerable, to be loving, 
and to forgive, which will radically, radically change the trajectory of our relationships for the better. It will radically change our lives as we are more and more able to walk in God's purposes for us. So I want to I share a story. Uh, something happened to my wife um, fairly recently, Raylene, and I got permission to use this. So, um, But uh, it, it kind of summarizes what we've been talking about in this whole series. So for the past several weeks, she's been taking our son Josh to Special Olympics Bowling. Josh, our son Josh is 17 years old. He has significant verbal and, and physical and cognitive delays, um, significant special needs. And so for the first few weeks of bowling, um, Josh did not do well um, behavior wise. So he had a really hard time getting his fingers in the hole, you know, the holes the right way and then throwing the, uh, rolling the ball the right way. He was frustrated and out of his frustration, he was just nasty to other people. It was just nasty and yell, all this stuff. And it was embarrassing to Raylene. It was embarrassing. Um, any, any, any parent or most parents of a child with special needs, you, you know, um, if they're old enough to do what I'm talking about, you, you know that feeling of not being able to control your child's behavior in public. And it is, it is horribly shameful. It is shame-filled. So after each bowling practice, Raylene went home with a boatload of shame. Um, I'm a terrible parent. My son treats people horribly, and it's my fault. We've not raised him well, right? All these things. Well, the cool thing about Raylene, one of the many cool things about Raylene, um, is that she is on this journey with Jesus, where she regularly asks him about these kinds of things that are surfacing in her life. And so she did that. Immediately after this, she got alone with the Lord the next morning, and she asked about this area of shame. God, I'm feeling this. Is this true? Am I a terrible parent? And, and she sensed in her spirit, small s, God's spirit, capital S, his love and affirmation of her as a parent, that she is capable, she's engaging, she's a good mom. We've been talking about this a couple weeks ago, the ministry of Romans 8, speaking to our hearts the truth. But she really felt like there was more to process about this. And so she pressed in a little further. She said, God, what am I missing when I let shame have this impact on me? What am I missing when I let shame have this impact on me? What part of my inheritance from you is being stolen by shame? And this is what she heard. She heard the Lord gently say, the power of your testimony. You are a missionary to an unreached people group. And she immediately thought of all the other parents who are there at the bowling practice, watching their kids and silently carrying the burden of raising a child with special needs. And she realized her shame was keeping her from spending time on what was truly important. Being with these other parents and loving on them when she was at these practices. See, she, she had been so focused on covering her shame that she had lost sight of what she was really there for, to love people, to love other parents and the kids there. And she told me that the next time she went to bowling, she no longer dreaded it. She was dreading it before. What's Josh going to do? It's going to be so embarrassing. She would no longer dreaded it. She was actually looking forward to it. She looked forward to the opportunity to love on these parents. See, shame 
causes us to isolate, to withdraw. And ultimately, folks, ultimately, shame causes us to miss what God is calling us to do. Shame keeps us from loving. But the more we open our hearts to the truth and the love in Jesus, the love of Jesus and the truth of how he sees us, the more we can demonstrate his love and his heart to those around us. It is, folks, it is worth it to pursue wholeheartedness. I hope this isn't just, oh, that was an interesting series. I hope this is a way of life for us. It is worth it. It is worth it to live in freedom from shame. It will impact every area of our lives in a positive way when we live in freedom from shame. So let's make this our passionate pursuit as individuals, as a church. Let's make this wholeheartedness thing our passionate pursuit. All right, let's pray together. So I want to lead us, as I've done many times in this series, I want to lead us in a time of prayer where I'm going to do some guided prayer and I'm going to encourage you to ask the Lord some questions and all of that. I just want to say up front, no pressure. So if this is not where you're at, totally cool. You can talk to Jesus about some other things or just kind of just hang out, all right? But for those of you who feel like God is stirring some things in relational wholeness, I want to lead us in a time of response here. So Lord Jesus, would you bring our hearts and our minds to rest so that we can hear from you? So Jesus, would you show each one of us, would you show us right now any places where we are hiding or withdrawing rather than moving towards someone's heart? So if he brought a relationship to mind, let's just pray right now. Lord, would you give us the courage in this relationship or the relationships you brought to our mind? Would you give us the courage to open our hearts and to pursue their hearts? Whatever that looks like. To question, open, opening our hearts, asking heart-oriented questions, but help us go after their heart and be attentive to their heart. All right, so Lord Jesus, would you show us right now, each one of us here, any places where we are blaming, criticizing, or judging the people around us? So let's just confess that. If he brings something to mind, just confess it to him. Just acknowledge it, Jesus. I'm sorry. Confess this to you. And now let me just ask you, as the beloved of God, are you willing to let Jesus clothe you with his compassion, his humility, his kindness, his patience?
If so, let him do that right now. Let him clothe you with these things. So Lord Jesus, would you show us right now where there is any bitterness or unforgiveness in our hearts towards someone who has shamed us? So if he's brought something to mind, are you willing to forgive this person who has shamed you? And what I mean by that is, are you willing just to, in the quiet of your heart, acknowledge the hurt? Jesus, this hurt so badly. Just acknowledge the hurt. And then bring that hurt to the cross and leave it there. choose to forgive. Now we may have to do this over and over and over again, but right now in this moment we are choosing to forgive. So now, Lord Jesus, are there any lies we've believed about ourselves or about you? Are there any lies we believe because of how this person hurt us and shamed us? So if anything comes to mind, if a lie comes to mind, I'm a bad person, I'm this, that, just let's just renounce that lie in the quiet of your heart. Just say, I renounce that lie. I'm not partnering with it anymore. So Lord Jesus, what truth do you want to give us in exchange for these lies? Are you willing to receive that truth that he's speaking to your heart? So Jesus, thank you for being so present. And I just want to say to anyone here, if you feel like I was hurrying or that you needed more time, you can do this anytime. You can ask these questions of the Lord. So it doesn't have to be in church, some pastor leading you through this. You can do this anytime. Just stop and ask Jesus these questions. So Lord, I want to pray for all of us. You would help us walk in freedom from shame. I pray as a result of us even hearing and just applying what we're hearing right now, Lord, in this message, I pray life would be poured into relationships. Healing would be poured into relationships between um, uh, parents and children and children and parents and between um, uh, husband and wives, Lord, and, and, and just between friends and coworkers and fellow students. I pray, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit in relationships as the gospel is freeing us from our shame. And so we pray, Lord, you would help us on this journey. You would help us embrace these things, not just, oh, as a cool teaching series, but as a way of life. We want to pursue wholeheartedness. We want to walk 
in these realities in every area of our lives. And so we pray that you'd help us do that. You would help us do that, Lord. Thank you that we have all the resources we need in the gospel, in your son, Jesus. We love you so much, Lord. We love you so much. And it is such a privilege to, res to, to respond to your word, not only in prayer, but also now in a time of praise and worship to you because you're worthy of that. So set us free to worship you. So why don't we stand? Let's, let's continue to respond by worshiping this amazing Savior who is ours.